Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. You guys, I am so excited to have a very special guest on the podcast today, my pastor and my former boss, Jeannie Stevens. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's so good to be here, Amanda. I am really excited to talk about so many things. I want to dive right in and ask something that I don't think I've ever asked you before, which is, did you always want to be a pastor? Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. Uh, And anyone that does grow up wanting to be a pastor, I have no shade uh, to to send on them. But no, it's not what I wanted to be growing up. uh, I, like every other kid, had a million things that I wanted to be. Uh, I wanted to you know, be an actress, sing on Broadway. Uh, Then I wanted to be a teacher for a while. I wanted to then be a business leader and an entrepreneur and the president and and a million things. And I did not ever in a million years think that my life would land me as a pastor. So I'm I'm sure this is like very nuanced, but if there is as clean or simple of an explanation as possible, why or how did you end up becoming a pastor? Yeah, I would say it has been a perpetual calling. I, w- I will say that. Uh, I had a moment when I was in high school, and it was what I would call a turning point moment, uh, a defining moment where a leader in my life just lovingly said to me, Jeannie, you know, you're a leader, and people people look to you, and they they follow you and they're, they're curious about what you say. And not only that, I think, I think God has a calling on your life. I don't know if that's the exact way they said it, but basically uh, they were insinuating, I think this leadership gift that you have is going to be used for uh, spiritual leadership and direction and influence. And you might want to think about that and pay attention to it. And it, it, it spoke to me in such a way that I was like, I think they might be right. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about this before. Um, but you know, when somebody says something and it's like a light bulb goes on, that's what it was for me. A light bulb went on and I thought, might these, all these crazy conglomeration of gifts, might they be aligning in this path? Um, and it's been a long, long journey. That's a, that's a couple of decades to yeah. get to where I am today, but, um, yeah, that, that's the journey. I love it. So you obviously chose to go to seminary and is that where you and Jarrett met? Yeah. Uh, we met and we never actually attended at the exact same time. Um, and even when I went, uh, I don't even think I thought I was going to be a pastor. I, I think I went and I was like, well, it's probably good for me to learn some, some Bible knowledge. And it's probably good for me to, you know, learn some theology in my life. Uh, but I, I'm not going to, you know, do anything with that because I, I really sadly did not grow up with any examples of a woman as a pastor in, in my younger years. Now in my, um, you know, young adulthood years, I, I found a couple of examples of it. But as a, as a young child, that was not my picture. And, and so I don't even know, Amanda, if I had a conscious understanding that it was possible for me, mm. um, which is so sad to me that 
there was something that I thought at an unconscious level I could not become because of my gender. Mm. Uh, and now, you know, I think about that later in my life and I think, oh gosh, I, I don't want to be a part of anything that has to do with an unconscious belief pattern that would cause a child to think that might not be possible for me because of X, Y, and Z, because of where I grew up or because of my gender, or because of my socioeconomic background or because of, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful for the long journey that it took for that self-limiting belief um, and that world-limiting belief that was put on me to get broken. But uh, it certainly has been a story, to say yeah. the least. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love, I love hearing this background information because I, you already know this. I've told you many a times, but when Eric and I first went to Soul City, the first weekend we moved to Chicago, which is just crazy because we weren't even going to go to church because we had just got done moving into our tiny studio apartment in the Gold Coast. But we're like, okay, we have this list of churches. Like we could start next week. But you know, when you're moving to a new city and you're like, oh crap, we got to do some church shopping. Right. <laughs> I mean, I hate that phrase, but it was like, we better start now. Mm -hmm. And Soul City is the first church we went to. And it's obviously the only one we went to. And we fell yeah. in love. And part yeah. of what we fell in love with was, and I know I've told you this, you were speaking and, and we continue to go back. So I don't remember actually if you spoke that first week or if it was just the weeks to follow, mm -hmm. but very quickly I was like, Eric, they have a female pastor, not mm -hmm. a female, like not just a pastor's wife. Like she's the pastor, like she's the equal. And, um, both he and I, that was so important to us. And for mm -hmm. me, I, I know I've told you, like, I always felt like as a female, I like to be a better Christian. I needed to be more meek and mild and tender mm -hmm. and just a lot of things that don't always come natural to me. And so to see you just like owning your identity and, and using your gifts to the fullest, like it empowered me and it gave me permission. And so mm -hmm. I love just kind of how in ways that you might not even realize you are ripple affecting out into the world to so many other women. But I'm curious, like, what is it like being a female pastor? Like, are there actually people? And I, I probably, I love that the podcast is called a longer table for this reason. We have people listening who believe all different types of things. Right, and some right. of them might actually believe that, you know, well, the Bible says, or mm -hmm. it's not okay for women to be in leadership. What would you say to those people? What has it been like? What are the struggles being a female pastor? And do you, do you feel like it's gotten better, you know, now that we're in 2020? Yeah. Well, I, I love your question and I love your story and I, I love how God led you and Eric to Soul City and we just adore you guys. And I'm so glad that you're there and, and a part of what God is doing and that it was a place where you felt like I don't ever have to limit my voice because of my gender. I don't ever have to rein myself in, uh, because of my gender, because I don't know if, uh, ever in my life, I have been given the description of meek or mild. <laughs> and so it was impossible for me to become a pastor that was meek and mild. Uh, right. I don't, if, I don't know if I've ever had um, those things ascribed to me, something for me to work on. Uh, but <laughs> I, I definitely uh, always had a very strong, uh, well, my brothers would have called it uh, the gift of being bossy as a child. Uh, but I always had a strong bent and a 
really developed opinion and uh, an inability to hold my thoughts to myself. And I wanted to have an impact on the world. And so the thought that I couldn't do that in a certain space and role within the church just seemed so counterintuitive to me to who God is and to the character of God. And for me, I really go back to, um, not to, to pull this all apart, but one of the things I do love about your podcast in The Longer Table is the depth of conversation that you guys jump into. And from a theological perspective, for me, I go all the way back to the garden. And, and I, I think in that moment, all was right in the world. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no hiding. There was equality and it was beautiful. And so for me, that's what I'm always trying to return to. I'm always trying to return to what was the original intent. And when I think of the character of God and when I think of his creating us male and female, in his image. There is no hierarchy when I go all the way back to Genesis. And so that is where, I mean, we could go hours upon hours on the theological uh, threads to be pulled on this sweater. Uh, And I can appreciate those that hold a different view. And I would say that's probably one of the biggest growth edges for me as a leader is in my early years, I probably had quite an ax to grind. And I found that grinding axes broke relationships. But when I chose to listen and to try to understand, to ask questions, and to agree to disagree, uh, I found myself building relationships with all kinds of different people that probably would not put me in their pulpit, but they're dear friends. And I can appreciate the work that they're doing in the world. Um, So while I show up fully believing that it should never be about gender, it should always be about gifts. um, and, And that's really what we strive to do here at Soul City is we try to put people in the right spot because they've been given the right gift not because of the gender that they have. And and that's how we've uh, orchestrated our church. It's how we orchestrate our marriage. It's how we orchestrate in our parenting. Uh, and for for us, it, it has a theological undergirding. Um, it's not just because it's what we like and what we want. Um, for us, it is rooted in a healthy theological dissertation. Uh, but it also just works. It works. Um, And, you know, I've watched a lot of people without the gift try to do the role because they had the gender. Mm. And it was quite evident to me that they were unmatched. So good. So I I just want to be like, burn. No, I'm just kidding. But I love (laughs) it. I love it. You're taking us to church right now. And I feel like you actually answered a question that I would normally ask at the end of the episode, which is how do we build a longer table in our lives? And I feel like you answered that really well by listening, by you, you don't have to just say, oh, you believe differently than me and shove them to the side or get, you know, it's like, you can agree to disagree. You can still be friends, even if you don't endorse or, or necessarily agree with it all. I I love that. I think it's so important. Um, I'm curious too, because you're a pastor and because, uh, I've, I really only have known you as this woman of rock solid faith and passion. 
I'm curious how that has developed over the years. Like I'm guessing that your faith today doesn't look the exact same as it did in your twenties. So how has your own faith and personal relationship with Jesus evolved? How do you keep growing? Cause mm-hmm. we, we like to say, you know, oh, there's never this place where you've arrived. And, and while I believe that's true, I think sometimes we, we believe it with our minds, but our heart, not so much. It's like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of us come to a point where maybe we stop growing, we stop evolving. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I, I have a long journey of faith evolution <laughs> that has occurred. Um, my faith has transformed over and over and over again. And I hope that is true of me to my dying day. Uh, what is not growing dies. And mm-hmm. so growth is so essential to me. Um, things that don't grow end up dying. And so you know, I, I don't ever expect my faith to look the same year over year. I expect it to look different. I expect it to evolve. I expect myself to be able to look at things that maybe I once held so dogmatically and to go, oh, wow, look at how the spirit has loosened that in my life. Or, or look at this experience that I've now had and how it's shaped my perspective or this person that's come into my life that has helped me to see something that perhaps I was unable to see or this way that I just read the scriptures. You know, the scriptures are uh, alive and active. Many of us have read that passage before. And so if they're alive and active, that means that the scriptures can grow us over and over and over again. And what I might have read in my 20s, the way that I read it in my 30s and then my 40s, I'm going to read it so differently. And so, you know, one of the things that is a hallmark of Soul City is that we are all about transformation. That's our mission. We want to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. And so my hope and my prayer for people is that their faith continues to grow, that they don't look the same year over year, that there's a deeper maturation that is occurring, um, heart, mind, body, soul. And the litmus test for me of transformation is how does that show up in your relationships? And so over the years, you know, in my 20s and my 30s and now my 40s, my relationships even look different. And to me, that's a picture of God growing me. And, you know, Amanda, I know you would say this to be true of your life as well. I would not write the story this way, but the deepest ways that God has transformed me has been through pain and through loss and through disappointment and through things not going the way that I wanted them to go, or a radical left turn that if I could have taken the pen and said, no, now I'm in charge of the plot line of my life, I would write that whole thing out of it. But, you know, the rear view mirror is so powerful because while I may not have written some of that pain and loss and disappointment into my story, I can now look in the rear view mirror and say, I would take it all. Mm-hmm. I would take it all still because of who I am today, because of what God has formed in my life, the things that needed to be let go were let go in that loss. And so for me, I I now have a excitement in knowing I'm not going to look the same next year. Yeah. I'm not, my faith is going to be different. It's going to evolve and it's going to change. And that's because God is perpetually inviting us to wake up 
to see new aspects of himself, to be new, see new aspects of ourselves. And that to me is the beauty of, of the old dying and the new being born over and over and over again. I think for a long time, I thought it was a one-time affair, mm. you know, that you wake up once and you're always awake. Um, but anyone that's ever hit their snooze button in the morning knows that's not true. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, we can wake up to a certain part of ourselves, a certain understanding of God, a certain understanding of theology, but be asleep on something entirely different. And so for me, my desire is to just keep waking up over and over and over again and to help others do the same. It's so good. Yeah. I love, I feel like I am so excited that all of my listeners are getting to know you because when I, when I'm talking about things, oftentimes I reference you among a few other leaders who have just been such, um, some of the biggest influences in my life, especially in my developing twenties. And, and so it's so great to hear it directly from you because I'm like, okay, I've been trying to say what she taught me, but she just said it a lot better than I did. <laughs> um, no, it's so good. And you know, I know for me, like lately I I've realized I really love the rebirth. Mm-hmm. I hate the dying. Oh yes. That's the I worst mean, who part. doesn't. Right. Who doesn't? No one would ever write that into their story. Um, but it's, it's in the shedding And it's in the cocooning. It's in the, you know, becoming something new requires something old to be let go. And I think that's so hard for us because we, um, we are creatures of comfort. And so, you know, we want to go back to what feels comfortable and we have such a propensity, or at least I have such a propensity for uh, what feels natural and normal to return to it. It's like muscle memory, right? And so, you know, we have such a muscle memory for the old ways of doing things with habits or, or with how we communicate with one another or old drama that we return to. Uh, it's just so easy for us to do that. And, you know, whenever I see myself trying to return to something old, I go, what is it that I'm unwilling to let go of here? Mm. What is it that I'm unwilling to, you know, let something new be born? Um, That's, that's really beautiful advice and actually is perfect kind of leading into where I was headed, which is what, what other advice among what you've already given, would you give to someone who is feeling far from God or who feels very new or just even immature in their faith and they want to grow, but maybe they don't know how, what are some maybe practical or tangible steps you'd give them? Yeah. You know, I, I remember in my 20s and, and probably my 30s, I had this belief that I had to do all kinds of things for God's presence to come to me. And I had a radical shift when I realized God's presence is always present. What's often missing is my presence. What's often missing is my willingness to just come to God as I am, knowing his presence is already there. So just showing up as you are, naming, God, I don't even know if I want to talk to you today. Showing up with your raw feelings. Today I'm feeling scared or I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling so excited. Um, Showing up with the the realization of um, 
what might be some of your broken beliefs about God. Uh, I sat with a, a person just last week and uh, they were sharing with me through their story that they just have a broken belief that God is not going to be good. And I said, you know, have you ever brought that to God? Like, are you holding that to your chest and afraid to bring that to God? And they said, yeah. And I said, God already knows. (laughs) God already knows that. So might you be willing to just lay that down and say, God, I'm so afraid you're going to pull the rug out from underneath me. I'm so afraid you might not be good on this one. And I, I would say one of the most helpful and healing practices of my life is learning how to show up as I am and say to God, this is what's here now. This is what's here now. Cause Amanda, you know, I think most of us are, our propensity in life is to either rehash the past, go back to things that happened long ago and still hold ourselves there or to rehearse the future, you know, go out and rehearse all the things that we think are going to happen and cause ourselves all kinds of worry and anxiety and stress over all these things that we don't know are coming. And in the present, we get to have a realization of the presence of God and God receives us as we are. If, If you're excited, if you're sad, if you're angry, if you're overwhelmed, you can be with God in that present moment. And I have found just practicing that presence. So how do I do that? Uh, breathing is a huge part of it. Um, learning how to just be in the moment and breathe. You know, I, I build boxes. I inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. And I count to four each time until I can like really be in the present moment. Uh, meditation on scripture just reading a passage of scripture over and over and over again, setting up practices of good self-care. I'm going to sit and I'm going to put the timer on for 10 minutes and I'm going to let worship music just wash over me. Um, Journaling your thoughts to God, reading scripture, calling a friend. Uh, Those are all actual spiritual practices. And they're practices to ground us in the present. And for me, that has been so key to waking up to what's here now. So good. So, so good. Is there one particular time in your life where God was so undeniably evident? And and the reason I'm asking this question is I think there are also people listening. That's like, I don't even know if God's real. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what I believe about any of this stuff. And I'm just curious because I have my own stories, right? For you, what's, uh, what, what's, What's one particular time, if you can think of it, where God was undeniably evident? It's like, this could only be God. Yeah. Um, You know, I would say, I I love that you have listeners that wonder and are curious, um, you know, I don't know if there's even a God and if there is, is he good or is he, is he a he, I mean, come on, do I have to (laughs) refer to him that way? Um, You know, and I, I love that. And we are a church that welcomes questions. You know that about Soul City. Yes. And so I, I love people that I, I probably trust people more sometimes that, you know, have doubts and curiosities and, and wonderings and are like, I don't know about all of this. Um, that's, why I, was, that's why it was the best church for Eric and I. It was like, yeah. okay, this is a church where we can both belong. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, 
one of the things I most love about Jesus, and I will answer your question, but one of the things that I most love about Jesus is that every time somebody asked him a question, he asked a question back. And so for us to be people that say it's not safe to ask questions in the church, I, I just, to me, that's, it's not okay. It needs to be the safest place to ask our questions and to keep putting leaves in the table, to keep extending it so that more and more questions are welcome and wanted. Uh, yes. So, you know, yes. Was there a time in my life where God was undeniable and real many times? Uh, the one that jumped out to me was actually right before we started Soul City. Uh, and for your listeners that are uh, listening right now, we're in downtown Chicago and this was about 10 years ago. My kids were young. They were two, just turning four. We had just moved back into the city and my parents and Jared's parents thought we were absolutely crazy, you know, that we were starting a church in downtown Chicago, leaving good, decent jobs. And here we were jumping. Um, and I remember having a moment where I was like, God, I just, I need you to show me. Like, I know it's kind of crazy to ask you to write in the clouds. And I know it's kind of crazy to ask you to like send me a sign and a wonder and all that kind of stuff. But I just need confirmation. And um, I encourage people to do this, to ask God, God, show me that you're real. Um, and what I would say to that is then go looking for it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people ask God to show me you're real but they're unwilling to then go look for it. Um, and so I remember praying that prayer over and over and over again. Would you just show us? Would you show us this is right? Would you show us we're not crazy? Would you show us that this is how you're leading us? And we were looking at this warehouse uh, in the West Loop, hoping that the owner of the warehouse might be willing to let us rent it. And he had already said no. And he had already said, you know, I, I, just, I don't think this is right. And we were standing on the corner of it and it was a crisp October day. It hadn't, you know, started to turn cold yet, but you could just kind of tell fall was coming. And we were standing on this street corner and I was like, Jarrett, I know this sounds so crazy, but I'm going to just get down on my knees right here on this street corner in the middle of downtown Chicago. And I am going to pray for this warehouse. And he looked at me like, she's lost her mind. Like she's getting down on her knees on street corners, praying for buildings. She's lost her mind. And uh, a symbol that has always been very meaningful to me, and you would know this because you've been in my office many times, is a butterfly. To me, the butterfly is the picture of transformation, um, the old and the new. And I got down on my knees and Jared, I think, just kind of was like, okay, I'll go along with this. And we're there on our knees on the corner of where Soul City is today. And we're praying and all of a sudden this huge butterfly flew past me. And listen, Amanda, I don't know if God sent the butterfly or not, but I took it as a sign <laughs> and I was like, God, that butterflies for me, <laughs> whether you sent it for me or not. And it was one of those moments where I was like, we're not crazy. Hmm. We're not crazy. We are supposed to jump. And this is what faith looks like. You don't see everything. Uh, you've got to take a leap. Um, 
And so we're taking the leap and thank you for showing me the butterfly and I might not see one for another 10 years, but I saw it in that now moment. And, you know, I, I certainly don't want to sound like a, a, a crazy person on your podcast that sees butterflies <laughs> all the time. I do not. I do not. But for me, it was a moment of God confirming what yeah. you are doing is what I've called you to do. Yeah. Keep going. I yeah. Got you. Well, and then it was confirmed because it just was. tell them, tell them, I know the story, but I think it's so yeah. cool. Tell them about the warehouse. Yeah. What's so cool is that it was just, um, a few months after that, that the owner of the warehouse called me and said, Hey, our family's been praying and we decided to give you the warehouse rent free for two years. Like and what? <laughs> I know. And the economy was a mess. We were in the middle of the housing crisis of 09. Um, and you know, it, everything pointed in the direction of that not happening. And it was just a movement of God. And, and I still go back to that butterfly and I'm like, I, I don't know, Lord, if that was from you, but what I know is that I got willing enough to look for you. Mm. I, I was willing enough to get down on my knees on a street corner in the middle of downtown Chicago. And whether the butterfly just happened to be flying by or not, I got willing to get down on my knees. And that's what I would say about anyone that's curious about faith. Are you willing to go looking for God? Mm. Are you willing to go looking for God? And most of us want that. Many of us are not always willing. And it's been in my willingness to seek him and to find him mm -hmm. that I've seen movements like butterflies in warehouses and so much more. It's beautiful. Life. Yeah. So beautiful. I actually quote Jarrett from the sermon on one teen versus willing in my forthcoming book. So mm -hmm. you guys will continue to get to know Jarrett and Jeannie as you follow along on social media. And as you get my book in the future, because they have both played, uh, I know Jarrett's not with us today, but you both played such a pivotal role, um, in my life. And, um, I'm so grateful. Mm -hmm. There is one last thing I want to dive into. I know we're running, yes. over, but I couldn't record with Amanda. You. How could you and I not run over? I know <laughs> that's true. That's true. We can talk for hours. Yes, we should. We, you know, we might have to do a, another podcast episode, part two, part three, part four, just to get everything <laughs> in. So I, Eric and I have had the privilege of obviously just being under you and Jared's leadership and learning from you. And yeah, we've gained so much from, we've gleaned so much wisdom from you guys. Specifically, we've even done breakfast where you guys, it will always stand out to me as one of the most, uh, again, I, I feel like the word pivotal, like comes to my mind. Like it was just like a turning point for our marriage with some of the wisdom that you guys poured into us. And so I feel like it would be doing a, a favor to everyone listening. If we could have a little bit of that wisdom here. So specific yeah. to your marriage, you and Jared have been married for how long now? This August, it'll be 24 years. That's nuts. I can't believe that. And you look the same as when you got married. When I see <laughs> pictures, I'm like, everyone who knows Jeannie in real life will say, Jeannie doesn't age. So oh. we, need, we need your skincare secrets. But <laughs> we also need to know, I am dying to know, and I, I feel like I've, again, gotten some of this from you, but for those people who don't know you especially, how do you cultivate a thriving mm -hmm. marriage after that many years? How did mm -hmm. you, you know, how, yeah, what do you yeah. do? What are some practical things maybe? 
Yeah. Well, you know this, and, and it's one of the things we love about you and Eric is you have to be willing to do the work. And when I say willing to do the work, uh, there's three kinds of work in marriage. There's my work, there's your work, your partner's work, and then there's our work. And I think marriages get in trouble, or at least my marriage gets in trouble when I forego my work and try to do Jarrett's work. And I'm really good at it, really good at it. Um, seven years into our marriage, he said, we were out on a date and I remember him so crisply saying this to me. He's like, babe, you know, I've just been thinking about our wedding and I've been thinking about, you know, what a special time that was. And I'm having a hard time remembering when we were standing in the front of that church and all our friends were around us and, and we were saying our vows and I can't remember when I said, and I take you, Jeannie, to be my life coach. <gasps> oh, no. It's <gasps> like, what? He's like, I wanted a wife, not a life coach. And, uh, dang. Yeah. What a gift he gave me. I did not uh, think it was a gift in the moment. But, you know, that, that jumped me into a deep, deep work of my own that uh, has not stopped. And one of the things that I would say that keeps a marriage vital and strong and vibrant and growing is when you're clear on my work, your work, and our work. And I spent a lot of years foregoing my work to believe that whatever was wrong with Jarrett was what was wrong in our marriage. Mm. And uh, I, I really had to start peeling back the layers and digging in the dirt of my own story and my own patterns and my own subtle addictive ways to start to go, okay, there's my work, there's his work, and then there's our work. And that, that I would say is an overarching theme that, you know, I could give you all kinds of tips and tricks and things that are needed and necessary in a marriage, you know, keeping clean agreements, um, communicating expectations, uh, making sure that you are pursuing intimacy, both of you. Uh, not putting it on one person over the other. How do you clear your conflict? I mean, there's a million things. We, we really could. We could have a part two, three, four, and five of all of those things. But I would say the overarching theme is when I get back into my lane of my work and then I support Jarrett to do his work, I support him. I don't do it for him. I don't life coach him into it. I support him to do his work. Well, then that gives us all of the content for our work as a couple. And, and we're showing up healthy, whole, doing our individual work so that we can do the work of our union, of our, of our covenant relationship with one another and make it better and make it stronger. Uh, and, and it's fun. It just gets more and more fun. You know, when I say 24 years and I, I think, gosh, that's a really long time. It just keeps getting better. Hmm. But, you know, last night, 
Jared put on some old music that uh, we were listening, we would have listened to when we were in middle school. And we taught our kids, this is how you middle school dance. And they were dying of laughter, <laughs> dying of laughter, you know, with just the hand yes. over the, the hips and the shoulders. And they were like, oh my gosh, you guys are so embarrassing. You are so ridiculous. And we were having a ball and it just gets more and more fun when when I don't go into his zone and try to do his work for him. That's um, good. When I trust he's doing his work and, um, you know, we could get into a whole conversation of what do you do when your partner's not willing to do their work? And that's, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you support them? How do you, you know, empower them to do it, but don't do it for them? Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's tricky territory. And, and Jarrett and I've had different seasons of our life where, you know, one was more willing than the other. Mm. And, and we had to really navigate some hard seasons. Um, I would say, and you and Eric are great at this, always bring others in, mm. you know, always bring a counselor and always bring coaches and always bring mentor couples. We've had the same mentor couple in our life uh, since we were engaged and we still check in with them. And we have other mentor couples that, you know, speak into our life and say, you know, could you, could you give us real honest feedback? Um, yeah. or we're struggling with this. We need some help. Yeah. You know, if you, if you want something to work, you ask for help. Yeah. You can't always do it on your own. No, you I love that. It's beautiful yeah. advice. It's real. I've lived it. I'm living it still. And, and yes. to be one of the people that, that gets all of the raw, real mm. messy. Well, you guys do your stuff. work and it's beautiful. And it's, it's so, it's so, you know, encouraging to see in a person's life. That's somebody that's willing to roll up their sleeves and, um, make their marriage better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So when are you and Jarrett coming out with a book on marriage? <laughs> oh gosh. Marriage and parenting and all the things I will be, I will be your first pre-order. All the things, all the things. Yes. I, I need to, I need to do that, Amanda. Add it to your list after <laughs> opening two more churches. Right. Right. It's You're not a busy a, woman at in all. a pandemic. Yep. Yep. Oh my goodness. Well, Jeannie, thank you so much for joining me at the table. We'll have to bring you back for the parts three, four, five, and six. Uh, but until then, it's great to have you. And thank you again. Thank you. So good to be with you all.